Zuzimar Podcast Show. Ten facts about the demons. Dragon's Triangle. There are several different locations around the planet that are filled with mystery and unsolved disappearances. One of them, one of these locations, mysterious things have occurred. An area shaped like a triangle with hot spots. Disappearance of other phenomenon. Another one of these mysterious areas is located in the Pacific Ocean near Japan and is called the Dragon's Triangle. There have been many reports of ships disappearing in that area, never to be found, as well as other ships that were later found, but no explanation as why they suddenly sank. Here are some of the strangest things that have happened in the Dragon's Triangle. The disputed location. While well, exact location, the Dragon's Triangle, also known as the Devil Sea, is highly debatable. The most common theory is it located one corner of the triangle being in tai- tai- Taiwan, and its second corner in the Japanese island of Mukei Jima, and the third corner of the triangle being the island of Tuaio Jima, which is known for, cer- for certain. That, what, that many ships have gone missing in that area Pacific Ocean, which is eerily similar to the disappearance of the Bermuda Triangle all the way over in the Atlantic Ocean. The Dragon's Triangle and the Bermuda Triangle were quite a few similarities hard to ignore. Both dangerous areas in, the, in areas of water and shape of the dra- Triangle, and many across the ships, along with their passengers and crew members, have gone missing without a trace. Some people believe that two triangles are directly opposite of each other. If someone was to travel from the centre of one of the triangles across the planet in a straight line, it would end up in the centre of another of the other triangle. Kubia Khan's failed attempt to evade Japan. Kinder Khan was the fifth Khan of the Mongolia Empire. It attempted to evade Japan twice. He is twelve seventy four and twelve eighty one. He was successful during both attempts, and ended up losing numerous ships, as well as around 40,000 crew members. He apparently encountered deadly typhoons in the area known as the Dragon Triangle. The Japanese believed that God had made them the typhoons destroy the ships, as well as a way of protecting their country. Marine ecologists and divers found the wreckage of the Mongolian ships at the bottom of the ocean. The typhoons had stopped Kane's soldiers from invading Japan, the country would have definitely been very different today. A strange woman on an unknown ship, one of the most famous Japanese legends in the year 1803. Sailors noticed a ship sailing in the waters of the Devil Sea, which looks like a hollowed out, boat-shaped, box-shaped boat. In fact, it very much resembled a traditional Japanese ship used for burning insects. They also noticed a woman sailing in the ship. She's very uncommonly physically appearance, almost a foreign type of look. Although many people are said to have seen this woman, the ship nobody knew who she was or where she came from. What makes this legend so mysterious is that she's captured the attention of many. The fact that even as this day, nobody knows how this woman, who this woman was, and where the vessel she came, or where the, her vessel came from. Other strange disappearances. Countless ships have gone missing in the waters of the, of the Dragon's Triangle. 
In the 1940s and 50s, several fishing boats went missing. The was between Makari Jemia and Iowa Jemia, which also five Japanese military ships have got lost among the many. More than 700 crew members were prompted to the Japanese government to send out a request to research vessel to investigate the mysterious and dangerous waters. 1952, the ship named the No. 5 also ended disappearing along with the 31 crew members that went on board. That were on board. The remains of the vessel was eventually found, but none of the crew members were ever located. In the 1950s, Japanese government officially announced the triangle, triangle, triangle was very unsafe, noting inherent dangers of travelling and transporting these waters. Methane hydrates. One environmental explanation as well as why many vessels have disappeared could be methane hydrates. Researchers say the area in the Dragon's Triangle is a methane hydrate located in the seabed. Methane hydrate, M-E-T-H-A-N-E-H-Y-D-R-A-T-E, ice turns into gas when the water reaches above 64.4 degrees Fahrenheit. When the methane hydrate gas flows, it causes bubbles to form on the surface of water, causing interruptions in the buoyancy of the water, easily sink a ship, completely dismantling on it, it on the way down. And it also is exploded in mid open flame, it suddenly explode. Vial vortices. Vial vortices are the areas of the planet where the pull of the electromagnetic waves, electromagnetic waves, are stronger than any other location on Earth. It's also suggests that hot and current, hot and cold currents across the vial vortices are un, ultimately causes so many ships to go missing. The reason is because the currents cause electromagnetic disturbances and the tra- trapping ships are in the water at the time. Underwater volcanoes. The volcanoes that appear to suck the ships underwater may in fact be reason why legends of, of underground dragons. Many marine scholars say that the stomach eruptivity from the underwater volcanoes is which causes many of the islands to suddenly disappear, new ones be immediately formed. One of the most known dis- disappearance in the triangle was in 1952 when Kaneya Mario number 5 research vessel ended up sinking in the waters. However, it was determined in the water volcano erupted when the ship was reached that area. When the volcano exploded, it caused the water to become extremely hot, losing its buoyancy and ultimately causing the vessel to sink. While this explanation of the triangle was highly disputed, Dragons and sea monsters. Since 100 BC, there have been legends of a large dragon that lives in the waters approximately named Dragon's Triangle. According to legend, when the dragons start moving around in the water, they cause sudden large waves, whirlpools, dangerous storms, and even thick fog. It's also believed that the dragons are the ones attacking the vessels and the crew in order to satisfy their hunger. 1944, a Japanese pilot. was in an area battle against U.S. forces when he noticed something terribly disturbing in the waters below. Pirate reported seeing a large sea monster in the water and he flew over the Devil's Sea. The serpent lake monster was said to have two large triangular-shaped wings and was swimming very fast. 
while keeping its head above water. Pilots from these creatures around 100 feet, 150 feet in length. There was no other witnesses to come forward claiming to see the unknown sea creature. Monster. Japanese native waters Ma Nu Yuya, which translates to CC of the Devil. The UFO theory. Many think it's that uh, this could they could be identified submerged objects as many cause many of the disappearances. Many say the ghost theory can actually explain be explained by USOs. They also have, have an water alien base. Allegedly, a picture taken on a satellite in space that looks like shows four objects with a triangle triangle that so do appear to look like UFOs. Though it's uncertain whether the photo was altered or if they were actually ships. Other theories. There have been several ghost sightings there, such as people seeing ghost ships of water and mysterious lights hovering above the waters. Other explained occurrences include equipment suddenly malfunctioning. Without any logical reason, people experiencing a loss of time they cannot account for. You've been listening to the whole of Martin podcast show talking about the Dragon's Triangle. Area 52, the Edo period Japanese folklore. The early 19th century, a mysterious unidentified flowing object washed up in the shore of Hitachi region of Japan, was found by a local group of fishermen. Surprise onlookers compared the shape to a rice pot. It's three metres high and five metres wide, made of wood and lower proportion, was protected with jagged rocks out, out at sea with metal plates. There were glass windows on the top. As the fishermen approached, they were astounded to see through the window that the linear walls of the vessel were covered by an unknown language with glyph like characters. They called it the Ustro Bunny, meaning hollow boat. Ustro Bunny's sole passenger was a beautiful young woman. She looked completely different to the village's inhabitants, with pale white skin. Um, Red hair and red eyebrows, her supperless clothes were made of unknown materials, but it was clear that they were those of nobility. The mysterious woman spoke an unknown language and didn't understand Japanese. She was friendly and courteous from what they could gather. However, she acted oddly, clutching a wooden box to her chest, which she wouldn't allow anyone else to touch. No matter how much they pleaded, she wouldn't reveal the contents. There's no way to communicate or inquire about her origins. But luckily, an old man from a village had it all worked out. He said that he, she was probably a foreign princess who was married, but caused scandal leaving the, having an affair. Her lover would have been out put to death. The princess, beloved by the people, avoided death penalty and banished to meet their fate at sea. The precious box she was carefully guarded. The old man reasoned lightly contained the head of her ex executed lover. Anyway, the fishermen decided it best not to get involved. They put the girl on the boat and pushed it back into the ocean. The incident was recorded in a lot, at least three different historical texts, which despite variations bear enough similarities to lead credence to the otherwise implausible 
story. This is you, Area 52, the Edo period Japanese folklore tale. Podcast show Hauntings, Exodons, Unexplained Murders. The Dead Girlfriend Facebook Ghost. A, a person was left unknown when a young man named Nathan revealed he was receiving Facebook messages from his girlfriend Emily in 2014. Why was he terrified? Because Emily had died in a car crash two years earlier. He began by recycling with sending old messages, which Nathan dismissed as a bug. But she, she began tagging herself, herself in his photos. Then all of a sudden, Emily uses her first original word. The story of the Enfield hauntings on the 13th of November 1974. Ronald Defoe Jr. shot and killed six members of the family at 122 Ocean Avenue, a large house situated in a suburban neighbourhood in Enderville. He was arrested, found guilty and jailed. His house was put on the market, which meant that in December 1975, George and Lucy Case, Luce and their three children moved into an Enderville horror. And feel home. For the next 28 days, the family were terrorised by unseen forces. Kathy had vivid nightmares about the murders discovered at order in which they occurred in the rooms which they took place. The loose children began sleeping on their stomachs the same way the dead bodies in the foam murders had been found. Things grew suddenly worse when a mysterious injury being inflicted upon the females of the household, strange footprints appearing on the ground, discovery a secret room which did not be in the prints of the house. Painted completely red, the room was dubbed the Red Room, and the family's dog was terrified of it. After deciding what something was wrong with their house, George and Kate loose, carried on a blessing on 8th of January 1976. According to reports, George held a silver crucifix while they both recited Lord's Prayer. While in the living room, George allegedly heard a chorus of voices go to him. Hit them, will you stop? They attempted a second place in their tea that month and fled the next day, describing events that occurred too frightening to overtell. Exism of Annalise Michael According to numerous poets, the young girl was afflicted by tense shaking and lost control of her body. Confused of her systems, doctors diagnosed her with ground male seizures, but behaviour grew worse. She began attacking family members and drinking her own wine. Most telling of all, she seen a very phase of religious objects. She concerned family eventually convinced parents and went on to perform multiple exorcisms. And Lee died in 1976 of pneumonia before the last exorcism, which has been about 40 by that time, could be performed. The Death at Elise Lamb 
There's un, an unnerving elevated surveillance tape that recalls a young woman's ghostly behaviour in the elevator, which has been claimed to show more proof of ghosts. Why? Because it features the last moments of Ezel Lemon's life. In a footage, the repeated attempts to pressing the lift buttons prove to be effective. It refuses to move. The doors open and close, apparently at random. She can also be seen moving in out of left, hiding from someone inside it, and chatting and gesturing with someone seemingly invisible entity. Right after the events of the video, Issa appeared, gained access to the rooftop of the hotel, climbed it to its water tank, and somehow ended up drowning in it. The rooftop was alarmed, and the tank was eight foot high. She managed to close the heavy lid after herself, despite the fact workers had to cut it open with tools to remove her body. The Exorcism of Roland Dove In late the 1940s, priests at the Roman Catholic Church performed a series of exorcisms on a young German boy. Roland Dove allegedly broke his restraints, pulled a string out of his mattress, and used it to attack one of the priests during the exorcism which took place at Georgetown University Hospital. According to the report, strange words appeared over the boy's body, his bed which was alleged to shake during his encounter. He spoke in a frightening, gruntal voice. After breaking the priest's nose, Vernon succumbed to the exorcism, which led to a rather ordinary life. The tale of reinstruction Mary. Hitchhikers are a very dangerous mode of transportation, both a driver and hitchhiker. On a stretch of road near Retratration Cemetery in Justice, Illinois, attractive, blonde-haired, blue-eyed young woman, all dressed in white, is often spotted with her thumb in the air, trying to wave down a car in a car for a ride. She's so she's very beautiful. Plenty of men do pull over and let her hop in. Every time she asks to be taken to the cemetery, and each time we arrive at the final destination, she vanishes into thin air. A skeleton at Hampton Court. Allegedly, a skeletal ghost figure was captured on the Padis' CTV cameras in 2003. They explain all three consecutive days, Planet Sergeyev called to close on a particular fire door near the Pladis' introductory expedition. On the first day, CTV footage showed the doors flying open with great force, but there was nothing to reveal why. On the second day, the same thing happened, but this time a ghostly figure, looking figure, in period dress appeared suddenly on the screen and closed the doors. They added the doors again, opened again on the third day, but there's no further sign of ghostly doorkeeper. Black-eyed ghosts are credit close. Credit close is Staffordshire is reportedly hunted by the ghosts of three children who were murdered by Raymond Lewis Morris in the 1960s. People reported seeing children running through the woodline at night. Some have reported the children sometimes giggle. Others claim they've heard the begging for help. Two things that have always made the same however, the children are clothed in white and they have frightening staring black eyes. Demon murder trial. Enya Serini Johnson. In 1981, Enya Serini Johnson murdered a landlord. Anna Bono in Connecticut. But is Johnson really to blame for his actions or just be possessed? 
the first ever case to cite domestic possession in defense of murder. Johnson's lawyers argued his actions stemmed from a pattern of erratic behavior which began when Johnson was just a kid. Johnson's family even consulted with a demonologist, Ed and Lorraine Warren, saying that the children had been the child had been taunted and harassed by spirits and demons for most of his life. Ultimately, the judge did rule that demonic possession was not a valid defence against first-degree murder. However, despite being found guilty, Johnson only served five years of his five to ten to twelve twenty-year sentence. Was a real-life haunting caught in Connecticut in the 1980s? A family of Cayman Snickerla reported some very strange incidents in their Connecticut home during the 1980s. It soon transpired that home had been formerly used as a funeral parlour, and spirits were deeply unhappy about living and moved in. Paranormal investigators Ed and Lauren Warren were called in to examine the home, and they professed was infested with demons. Begin but. The true hauntings of Chloe and Meritor's plantation. According to legend, Chloe was a slave in the early 19th century, but she was fiercely independent and keen to gain her freedom. As a result, she started listening at doors and windows, a bit again to the information she needed to break free. But one day she found it on the door. The foreman cut off her ear. In revenge, she baked a brother's cake for plantation owner, Judge Clark Woodward. But his wife and two young daughters ate it instead. Chloe was hanged from a tree on a plantation, but her soul is not still not at rest. A famous t- photo taken in the plantation in 1992, and in it Chloe can be seen listening at the door. Staff say she appears frequently between two trees outside the house, and she's credited with many mysterious goings on inside. Misplaced earrings to removing furniture. The Disneyland Ghosts. There is footage that shows a, sp- a spooky figure wandering through the park late at night, looking rather translucent on the CCTV cameras. Mothman The Mothman prophecies are based on the sighting of an enormous moth-like creature said to be seen in Port Point Pleasant, West Virginia, between 1966 and 1967. But what did the creature want? Well, many folks reported they saw the creature hovering over the town's iconic silver bridge. Their apparitions continue, can be more and more frequent, to the bridge has suspectedly collapsed during the rush hour traffic. 46 people were killed. Mothman was never seen again after the incident. Doris Blitter. In 1974, a woman named Doris Blitter claimed she was assaulted by visible entities. Despite the fact that many people slammed the young woman as a liar, two paranormal investigators, Barry Taff and Kerry Curlaw, decided to investigate, and what they found was very disturbing. From floating balls of light, floating about to whisper voices, no way could they ever set foot in that house. Doris's son, Brian Harris, Told, told his story, was, and it said it was true. He said, what do you want to know? It was true, living in a house was hell, 
We experienced some of the form of attack. It was pushing, biting and scratching being done to us. About four entities in the home, and they made themselves de- known by appearing all the time. I think I, it took a lot of energy for them to do that. When they would make a, themselves known, it was, always, it was always like a fog, like a human, but not quite, like a silhouette, but not clear, translucent and foggy. The whole rate of thing was real. My room was right next door to my mother's. I could hear the tacks happening, things being thrown and screaming. She would come out of her bedroom and have all the, these bruises, right on her legs and in her thighs, just like in the film, which is called the, the Entity. There are many, many times we see it happen in front of us. It was like a man was standing in front of my mother and start to beat her up. Imagine a woman being beaten. You see her being picked up and thrown around. Slap sounds, but no one is there to actually do it. The Enfield Poltergeist. In 1977, single mum Peggy Hudson called police to a council home in Enfield. They arrived, she explained, the two of the four children had told her that their furniture was moving all by itself. The more terrifying, they heard knocking sounds coming from the inside of the walls. The sceptical police officer just looked around the house. He admitted he saw a chair slide on the floor. Strange events continued to happen, with demonic voices, loud noises, thrown toys, overturned chairs and levitating children reported by many paranormal investigators. American paranormal investigator Ed Warren later said he was heard one of the children, Janet, as she lay asleep, levitating in the mid-air. He concluded the children were subject to demonic possession. The Bear Witch, the real witch, Bear Witch. In the 1800s, the Bell family moved into a house in a small town, Tennessee. Just a few weeks when they began experiencing some very spooky activity, began with knocking and scratching on the walls in their house. But slowly, the activity began to grow more violent. The youngest Bell daughter, Betsy, was constantly slapped or pinched. Out of nowhere, strange bruises would appear, and other family members felt themselves being kicked on, on, their, on their hair but being pulled. Eventually, John Bell fell into sickness and eventually died next to the blue black bottle that contained some type of poison. Could the Bell Witch really have the spirit of slave in the Bell that killed or as paranormal investigators believed? And if so, why did the spirits show so much hatred towards Betsy Bell? To make her in, according to legend, a stranger stood and barred joined the tank of the Bell one night. He called it outside. And quickly went to see what happened, leaving the half in the jail. Next, that was the last time he'd seen alive. The next morning, his corpse was found on a bleak moor, but the manner of his death and identity of his sailor still remain a mystery. Nowadays, people reported hearing footsteps tramping along the passage to the bar. In the 1900s, a silent stranger was often spotted sitting on the wall inside the area. In. But that's how many people. Engaged him in conversation, strangers refused to make eye contact or speak. I wouldn't even vanish without a trace. This is the Halls of Mark podcast show. You've been listening to hauntings, exorcisms, and unexplained murders.
Aliens, paranormal, UFO sighting, cases that still mystify non-believers, unexplained mysteries of the world. Book one by Comrade Baruru. Are we alone? As intriguing as that might be, there are some stories of paranormal that are just too hard for even the most open-minded of us to believe. Yet we continue to wonder. There's a deep, there's something deep inside of the consciousness of all of us that makes us want to explore the boundaries of what we think is possible. UFO phenomena and the concept of extraterrestrial life is definitely a subject that tests the limits of how we currently see reality. Many have posted the idea that discovering alien life will completely shatter our preconceived notions and forever alter such fundamental human beliefs about religion. Purposes of existence are placed in a great grand scheme of things. If you ever wondered if you're alone in this universe, you might be interested in some of the accounts of those who claim to witness unknown alien entities firsthand. Tales presented in his book range from the strange and the scary to the absolute to the slightly absurd. But who's to say what is normal and what is not from delving into such an utterly unknown territory? Time will tell if the aliens are overproven beyond the shadow of doubt to exist. But in the meantime, you can indulge in your imagination on these unique and extraordinary still explained sightings. So I find 12 cases of UFOs still remain unexplained sightings. I'd like to remember for Stephen Dawn, Hess, Tevis, Walton, Baffles, Investigators, Elglish, Abductions, The Betty, Anderson Affair, The Strange Encounters of Barbara Archer, The Buff Ledge Camp Encounter, Encounter of the Pascagoula River, The Case of the Hungry Hunters Encounter, The E.T., The Christian Burial of a Dead Spaceman, Mass Alien Encounter in Zimbabwe, Former CIA agent plays mind games with aliens. Uh, read families don't explain the counters. Download free with Kindle Unlimited. Read on your favourite devices such as Kindle, iPhone, iPad, Android, telephone, tablet, laptop or computer with Amazon free reading the Kindle of Goal. Also, excerpts from the book. Excerpts from Paranormal Aliens by Comrade Bura. Introduction. Too hard to believe. As intriguing as this might be, there are some stories of the paranormal that are just too hard for even uh, most of uh, minded of us to believe. We've just done that. But we won't do it. We'll do this one. A night to remember. Husband and wife, Steve and Dawn Hess, have been married for a few years. We're seeking a brief respite from mon- monotony of their daily routine. They wanted to recapture some of their excitement they had when they first met. Before responsibilities, paying bills and raising two young children became the number one feature of their lives. So they dropped their kids off with their grandparents, hitched up the camper, and headed out to the scenic deserts of the American West for night to remember. And October 21st, 1989, did not, in, did indeed turn out to be a night to remember for a couple, for reasons they never would have expected. They have gotten 
I had just gotten the campfire going, but busy grilling hamburgers, when Steve happened to notice one on the corner, out of the corner of his eye, a formation of brilliantly illuminated objects hovering just above their eyes, and strangely, strangely, as soon as Steve turned to look, to look more closely, the floating lights they ducked down behind the nearby mountain range and disappeared from the view. Bizarrely, it seemed almost like the objects had intentionally moved out of sight. As soon as they turned his head, Steve, being the rational person that he was, quickly decided that such a thing would, would be impossible, not only from a technical standpoint, but physiologically as well. How could objects miles away zero in on him, watch him turn his head, then personally dive behind a mountain range, like they were playing a elaborate game pre kaboo And then a bigger question would be, why, as odd as this coincidence was, the ramifications are just too strange for Steve to entertain. So he turned back to flipping his hamburgers and forgot about the whole thing. But soon there would be a whole host of strange coincidences for him and Dawn to contend with. Later that night, after the two had finished their dinner, they were enjoying a couple of beers and staring at the dark night sky, picking out constellations. Then, as they kept a fixed gaze, on one part of the starry sky, to the astonishment, some of their points of light they were thought was part of the constellation broke away from the formation and began to cross a, travel across the sky. It sounds absurd, and we can only imagine how strange it would be to have a gaze fixed intently up to the big dipper and see that you thought it was part of its ladle fly off in the other direction. However, the idea of a UFO would personally mimic constellations as a phenomenon has been documented before. It's true, is yet another of the bizarre and decidedly alien behaviours of AT visitors. As for Steve and Dawn Hess, they weren't sure what they were looking at, but the whole thing was so disorientedly, they almost felt lightheaded. And perhaps that was to true purpose behind the aerial display in the first place. Steve was a loss to explain what they were witnessing in that isolated stretch of the desert, but not wanting to fight his wife, he merely told her, Oh, that? They're just weather balloons. Steve's statements are intensely ironic, considering that one of the most famous UFO encounters in the deserts of the American West was in Roswell, New Mexico, involved a cover-up story of a weather balloon. As the Hess tell it, before the incident happened, they have never thought of the object. So the connection was undoubtedly lost on him. At the moment, Steve was just stretching, just any possible explanation for all they see for them. But these objects suddenly didn't behave like weather balloons, and soon, to the couples of astonishment, more than more previously stationary points of light, the sky began moving as well. Suddenly, they came together and formed a strange new constellation. This time, the shape of an M. And just before, when the object seemed to duck behind the mountain range, because it turned, because he turned his head, Steve got the increased, creepy feeling that some thought of intelligence behind the luminous objects were trying to interact with them, but somehow. But it happened next would be little more than creepy. It was downright frightening. Without the warning, the faithful lights that had been cavorting around in the sky all dropped down to ground level. Then, like some ventral mound, they began hurling at high, high rate of speed right towards them. At the end of this onslaught, Dawn was staring in shock while her husband was screaming at 
her to get inside the camper. In this attempt to rekindle their romance was seemingly initiated a horror story instead. Steve tried to put out their campfire, thinking it might have been luring the objects towards them, but quickly realised how futile and if effort it would be. He knew that they had already been spotted by whatever, they are, whatever was after them. There's no going back now. There's nothing else to do. Dawn and Steve both ran into the camper, and Harry shut all the doors and windows as they frankly tried to get away, but could not get, but not get away from what? As they, believe, as they looked back over the desert, to their belief that they began to see that would only be described as glowing red eyes moving towards across the sands, they realised that the eyes were attached to some sort of a shadowy bodies and he could conclude a variable army of creatures was heading straight for the RV. Couldn't Steve, he don't know what there was what was advancing on him, but in the isolated stretch of desert he instinctively knew it wasn't good. He had his sinking feeling they were about to be captured by some ominous force. He also knew there wasn't anyone out there to help them as they were going to resist whatever was upsailing them. They only depend on they could only depend on themselves. Steve grabbed his rifle and aimed it at the closest window and tried to mentally prepare himself for the worst. He seemed to be in pitched standoff with assailants, complete unknown proportions. As he stared out the window of the camper, his rifle ready, locked and loaded, they heard a loud thump on the truck. This is then followed by a sound of footsteps. If there's someone running right across the roof the camper, he squinted his eyes in the darkness and continued to stare. At the window, the thumping steps seemed to approach, but just before the specific section of the camper, then he, that's when he saw it, a completely alien face dangling down over the window, coldly staring back at him. It was a classic so-called grey alien with an oversized head, large black round eyes, with just a slit in the mouth and an impish little nose. Both Steve and Dawn screamed at the sight. They need an understanding that everything they thought they knew about reality had been completely shattered with just one look upon the leering, unwell, over, overwhelmed face. But this would be only the tip of the paranormal iceberg of the Hesses. This would be very much more mind-boggling down to come for, to them. Them. Steve had, had been prepared to fight, fight, fight the pair, his weapon. Just when his fingers started to squeeze the trigger, Dawn pleaded with him, "Don't shoot." She would later maintain that she received some sort of telepathic message, warning that he used violence. It only made matters worse. As frightened as he was, Steve had realised he was completely surrounded by his entities. He began to think what just how wise it might be to fight them. He came to the conclusion that whatever they had flown their craft, the scene would no doubt better equipped to deal with him than he would do was to deal with them. So he loaded his rifle, considered perhaps trying to communicate reason with the invading entities. This turned out to be a bad idea on his part. However, because of, as soon as he approached the window, the upside-down stretching alien sent out a jolt of electricity from an outstretched hand and shot right, and then shot right through the glass and slapped Steve in the chest. This vault of energy knocked Steve backwards with a violent force as he just body slammed by a sumo wrestler. 
The steed struggled to his feet and away from the window. A couple then heard a sound of a low hydraulic hum that seemed to grow louder with every second. This went on a few minutes. Then right when they were humming, with a frenzied crescendo pitch, that panicked couple, just like they couldn't take it anymore, suddenly stopped leaving them in complete dead silence, didn't know what spec they huddled in the darkness. But no matter how much they wished it, it was over. Somehow deep down they knew that this wouldn't be the case. And a feeling of ball out of the immense tents, all compressing red light suddenly illuminated tires inside of the RV. This red light felt particularly ominous to the couple. It felt almost as if the entire camper been engulfed in the furthest reaches of hell. This is no fire and brimstone. It's a tribulation of altogether different proportions. The camper began to shake under the red glow of it, as if its earth un- underneath was giving way, as if it shook a, a strange mist between the pour full of vents of the vehicle. Steve desperately tried to shut the vents, but it was no use. It just continued to pour in as they gagged on the fumes. They felt like they were about to lose consciousness and dawn because, thinking, this is where we're, this is when it we're going to die. But the next thing the couple knew, they woke up with, from the ordeal. As they cruisy looked around, the world appeared to be normal once again. Light was gone, the camper wasn't shaking, and the mist was dis- dissipated. But as they peered out the window, they could see the sun coming out of the horizon. It was already morning. Had they really just woke falling asleep? Was the whole thing a dream? They felt disorientated and entirely confused about the whole ordeal. When Steve put his key on the camper's ignition, the engines roared to life. They just wanted one thing, to get back to their children that they had left behind. Deep down, he had a sinking feeling, whatever insulted them, was just might be able to get to their kids as well. So he raced back to the, the, over the desert, without any mention of the harrowing experience, grabbed their children and went back home. After they returned, both Steve and Dawn were played with night, constant nightmares. But it was seen, or at least thought they had seen, a night out in the desert. The bizarre goblin light hanging, face hanging over the window, the ominous red light, the shaking of the RV, all perfect ingredients of routine night terrors. Their dreams became so frequent and disruptive that the couple began, eventually sought professional treatment from a sick therapist named Dr. Anixtida, highly trained in practice of her hypnotic regression, Dr. Enexita to- took Steve and Dawn back to the, the, the disturbance. Under his direction, they were able to figure out exactly what happened shortly after the inciting mist appalled in the camper. Their hypnosis session revealed that after being blasted with a numbering agent, they regained consciousness on board of an alien spaceship. Called Dawn, they felt as if either in a trance state or somewhat drugged. As they led around the craft, it was as if they were sleepwalking, coming in and out of conscious awareness, altogether amenable under the under E.T.'s control. Stephen Dawn was separated and taken to different rooms. They both went underwent virtually identical procedures while lying on top of an examination table. Dawn recalled being almost entirely com- com- Compliant with the entities, as she knew that things would go better if she were cooperative. But Steve, of course, there was little conscious awareness that was left to him. He did try to fight. This was mostly out of fear for his wife. 
didn't see what he was taking her, as any as an good husband would, would. He wanted to find out, find and protect her. Steve recalls as soon as he f- f- could focus his eyes on brilliant lighting, he could see vague outlines moving to the edge of his vision. He recognised who these figures were. The same type of entity hung in the head down over the, the RV's window. His fear of consciously seeing the jolted seeing him at the jolted uh, this system enough to bring some semblance of awareness. Steve maintains that once he str- realised that they were happening, he did not. He did indeed try to struggle, but what when but, but had he but had been so weakened by the early dose of noxious waver, he could hardly barely move. Let alone fight off as several aliens crowding around him. He tried to resist, but in the end of them was over. He was overwhelmed. Meantime, Donald's fear came to too great under the human gaze of the alien characters. Who calls when the men beings placing a one-light device to her neck, making her switch off completely as she conducted intense examination of her body. In retrospect, Donald believes that much of what happened on him involved psychology just as much as physiology. Under hypnotic regression, Dawn stated to her stated her belief that the aliens were conducting some sort of physical psychological experiment. He seemed to be carefully gagging, gauging their emotions and reactions the whole time. Anyway, by the time the hypnosis session revealed that it really happened to them, they, this married couple realised the night of October twenty first, nineteen eighty nine, began as a night to remember. Within the end, one of the though they would rather forget.